This podcast is for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Pretty great. We've brought our third stooge in for this recording. For the first time ever, we're adding a third person to this mix. Grant's always so stringent. He says everything like Casey Kasem. Well, I'm going to be Casey Kasem. That's the goal. I know. Yeah. So we decided to bring Ella on this week. Ella is our BFF. Before there was Grant in Erica's life, there was Ella. So you're getting kind of the full scope of Erica right now. Hi, Crime to Crime fans. She's making her debut right now. So we'll post a picture of her on her Instagram as well. Now it feels like you're auctioning me off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see how much they offer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I picked a case this week that I think would be perfect for us because it's about a gang of people. Oh, nice. We're like a gang of people. Oh, yeah. Is that why you did it? Because like, we're kind of like a gang? Yeah. Gang? All right. We need our own street gang, like a from crime to crime street gang. Oh, it's a street no. team, huh? Yeah, you're done. We've got the west to the east coast covered now. Well, that's the other reason why I picked this case is because it's in North Carolina. Mm, Which is where Ella lives. Oh, yeah. I just figured everybody knows that. She's kind of a big deal in our life. So I just kind of figured everybody knows who she is. All right. Let's get down to business. All right, so this case stretches back all the way to October of 1997. Ooh, all right. What was number one on the country hot list of 1997? Can I guess? It was... Is it um, 97? Gotta be Diamond Rio. You looked it up, you little snake. I didn't. I did not. Did I guess it right? Yeah. It's really? How your love makes me feel, Diamond Rio. Yeah. No way. That Honestly, I did not look it up. I was just like, what was going on in 97? Well... Gotta be Diamond Rio. Garth was like, that was like one of the time Garth like was taking his break, right? So I don't know. I think that was Chris Gaines' time, maybe. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So that's why Garth was taking a break. So wow, I'm pretty, I'm pretty surprised by myself. Okay. So on October fifth, <laughs> not happy at all that I guessed it right. You sucked the thunder right from her cloud, man. <laughs> not one bit. <laughs> yeah. If it helps, I don't know the song, so I can't sing it to you, but. Yeah, it's the one that goes, jump in the car, buy an ice cream, and see how far we can drive before it melts. Kind of feeling. I've never heard that song in my life. I've never heard all those. No, okay. Yes, you have. I might be a little bit off the tune, you know? I don't think I've ever heard those words in that order once in my life before. Yeah. So Sunday morning, October 5th at like 7 a.m., a lady named Tammy Gant calls 911. The reason that she called 911 was to report her husband, David Gant, missing. He worked at the Loomis Fargo warehouse and he didn't come home from work the night before, so she was pretty worried. So officers went to the Loomis Fargo warehouse and his truck was parked outside of the gates and the gates were unlocked. And so when they went in and they went up to the warehouse, the door was also unlocked to the warehouse. So they immediately contacted Loomis Fargo and a supervisor came what down. Is, what is Loomis Fargo? They're at this warehouse, but like, of what? What's this company? Loomis Fargo. It's like the armored trucks and stuff that pick up all the money from the stores and the ATMs. And Why do you say that like we should have known that? Thank you. You guys have never seen a Loomis truck? I mean, I've seen the trucks that pick up the deposits, but I've never been like, what's the brand? Is this a Brinks truck? It's like Brinks, Dunbar, and Loomis. Those are like the three major ones. Oh. I'm more knowledgeable today now. You have imparted wisdom. Sorry, guys. I should have explained that. Loomis is an armored company. Like, they go around and they pick up money from ATMs and stores and all kinds of stuff, and then they... I don't know. They take it back to their warehouse and they store it. So what does Fargo have to do with money? Because there's Wells Fargo, a bank, Loomis Fargo, a armored truck service. Are they 
They're all not all connected, are they? Yeah, of course. Loomis oh. was its own company, and then Wells Fargo bought into it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't either. Yeah, it's the same Fargo. Well, that makes sense. At least they stick to what they know, money. Yeah. Do you think Fargo, North Dakota has any money? No. Or is that way different? So They don't even have any people. How would they have any money? <laughs> they have coal miners and strippers. That's what they're known for. So there's money there somewhere. I don't, I don't think that's true. So they call the supervisor from Loomis Fargo to come down and show them what's up. Like, why is this gate unlocked? Why is this door unlocked? Is there anything missing? So when the supervisor gets there, he said that David Gant was a vault supervisor and he had closed the night before with a brand new trainee. It was like his literal first shift. He also showed them what was missing and out of place besides all the unlocked gates and doors. Two VHS tapes from the security room were gone. All the keys to the vaults and the vans and all that kind of stuff and a Loomis armored van. Well, this sounds like a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are all key components. The vault, however, was super locked. So they didn't know if any money was missing. Oh, so the supervisor doesn't even have his own set? That seems ill-advised. Yeah, no, they don't get to take the keys to the vault home. Well, I think in banks, typically there has to be like two people to do something like that. I don't think just a manager can do it. I think it has to be a manager. I mean, it might be true with safety deposit boxes, but not with this because that's how this all went down. It's also 1997, so. Yeah, they don't do it now. This is the lawless land. This is a year before we started having laws and stuff. Okay, yeah. It is. 98's the cutoff. Yeah. They have no keys, so they have to break into the vault, which wasn't easy and took quite a bit of time because it's a vault, so. Yes. They are are specifically made to be hard to get into. That's the kind of their their thing. (laughs) Yeah. So while they did that, they started to wonder if Gant was robbed. Yeah, like is this a hostage situation or in cahoots? Right. But when they finally gained access to the vault, they were relieved because Gant's body was not inside. Oh. Also not inside any money. No money? None. Oh. How much? Well, records show there should have been about $17.3 million in there. Wow. And it, it was mostly 20s because it was money that was used to stock ATMs and that's stuff. That's a shit ton of like weight. Yeah, that's a lot of cargo to move. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was literally a ton of money. It was 2,800 pounds of money. Wow. Well, they're not just walking out and carrying that around. Yeah. And it was mostly 20s because it was money that was in general circulation. So they were unmarked. There was no die packs. They were non-sequential serial numbers. They were essentially untraceable bills. This is very Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Well, it'll get Not less, so Ocean's less Eleven. Less Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. So... The two VHS tapes were missing from the security room, but there was a third one that was still there in a different cabinet that apparently whoever took them didn't know there was a third VHS tape, so it was still there. And on the third VHS tape, it showed David Gant sending the trainee home at the end of the shift and then backing the van up to the vault and loading it with 2,800 pounds worth of cash. Damn it! I thought the trainee was going to be the one to like... No. It took him over an hour to load all this money. Why would he take the two other VHS videotapes but leave the one he, d- he didn't know was there yeah he had to have not known it was there because that's just ridiculous yeah it was in a separate cabinet so it i they don't think he knew it was there it was probably one of their very futile security measures where they were like yeah we tell everybody about these two tapes but we don't tell anybody about the secret tape in this cabinet <laughs> that's fair i mean yeah. they need to do something else 
Yeah. So they had to find Gant because he was either abducted and like forced to rob his own work or he just stole $17.3 million. Yeah, that's that's a big crime. Yeah. And in his truck, the only thing they found was his wedding ring in the ashtray. So they weren't sure if that was like normal behavior for him. Like maybe he was dipping out on his wife or if that was like a sign like, hey, I'm ditching my life and I'm out of here with my $17.3 million. Good point. They, they don't know. Or it slipped off. How long had he worked there? Uh, Quite a few years, like three or six years. I mean, he'd been there long enough to be trusted enough to trust a brand new employee on day one. Oh, yeah. He was a vault supervisor. Yeah. He'd obviously been there for a little bit. Yeah. So they interviewed Tammy, his wife, and she said he was a totally normal 29-year-old guy. He had been in the army. He had been honorably discharged. He was a nice guy. He didn't give any warning signs that he might pull off a $17 million heist. You know, she said he was super normal in the weeks leading up to this. He had done regular stuff like go to the dentist, the grocery store. He was even working a lot of overtime because they had some credit card debt. Ooh. And David only made like $8 an hour. <laughs> so he was working overtime a lot to try to pay off their debts. Thinking about this, though, 8 bucks an hour uh-huh. sounds a little bit to us. But, I mean, minimum wage when we started working was six twenty-five or so. So 8 bucks in 97. We didn't start working until like 05, 06. At least I didn't. No, but to stand outside of $17 million making $8 an hour, I can see how that would start to be like, fuck this shit. Yeah, for sure. That's the thing is when you're in charge of $17 million and you're making $8 an hour, I it's not good money. It's it it feels kind of like a slap in the face probably. Almost anything compared to $17 million though is probably going to feel like a slap in the face. Yeah, but $8 an hour, even this, like everything I've read in 97, I mean, they were living in a double wide trailer. They were it was not enough to live on. The responsibility doesn't match the pay grade kind of thing. Right. But either way, Tammy thinks he was kidnapped or forced to do this because it wasn't him. She's like, yes, we're in debt, but he was working to pay it off. Like, he wouldn't do this. I would hope Christine would have my back in something like this, too, because this seems, I mean, there's video of him doing it. And they're like, no, he wouldn't do it. Well, she's saying, like, he must have been forced to do it, which the FBI is like, that could be. You know, people get robbed all the time at gunpoint. Maybe he was blackmailed somehow or literally forced to do it. So the FBI was brought in right away because the money was federally insured. So they closed in on bus stations, airports. They spread his photo everywhere. But by this time, David Gann had a huge head start. The phone call from his wife reporting him missing didn't even come in until 12 hours after he bounced. You know, and then it took him a few hours to get into the vault and figure out what was even going on. Yeah, that that is a really big head start. I mean, it, although he isn't exactly in a uh, unmarked vehicle, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he was nowhere to be found. So the FBI decided it was super important to name this investigation right away. They were like, first order of business, we have to name this thing. So they called it Operation Charlotte. How, cra- how crafty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that for Charlotte loot? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like everybody's so creative at the FBI. Ella, are they always that creative in North Carolina or? No, this is this a one off. Specific- yeah. <laughs> this is special. Okay. <laughs> this is also the FBI, not North Carolina. I mean, it's in North Carolina, but. Yeah. This is DC crafty. <laughs> yeah. This is professional operation namers, Grant. No, I clearly no, I, I can see that. Do you think they have just one guy who is like in charge yeah, of totally he, he's the guy who names everything? Uh-huh. God, yep. I want that. Yeah. That's Grant's dream job. <laughs> oh, I would love to just name things. <laughs> I would he talks about I, it all the time. 
all the time. I named this podcast and it's really the best thing I've ever done. And I, I oh, to just name things would be like my my dream. It really would be like, hey, can you just come up with a creative name? Like, absolutely. And you're, in a, you're in a throne and you have a scepter because that's just how I'm envisioning this right now. And they bring it to you, whatever it is, idea or object. And then you go and you, you rub your chin and you look at it and you pause and deep inhale and you go, and this shall be. Yeah. Can he have a monocle too? Yes. Ooh, top hat. I'd probably rub the scepter though, to be no, fair. No, no, no. Don't, no top hats. You're not Mr. <laughs> Peanut, dude. Give me some time and I will be. Uh, I am so jealous of this job. Yeah. So either way, besides naming this, they're desperately trying to find David Gant because they don't know if he's in danger or if he's the mastermind of this. They don't know. Then two days after the heist, they get their first lead. They find the van. The Loomis armored van that was stolen from the warehouse abandoned in the woods less than 10 miles from the Loomis warehouse. Yeah, it's going to need to be like you can't be in that thing for too long. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to find the Charlotte that way. Yeah. But what other kind of vehicle can carry 2,800 pounds and still and not like scrape the ground as it's driving? Right. So they tow the armored van to the facility, to like their FBI garage, and they have a locksmith break into it because it's an armored van and they don't have the keys. So again, with the locksmith, this guy's just like <laughs> screwing them on keys, man. Yeah, this is like a vault on wheels. This is, <laughs> this is like a Looney Tunes episode. Yeah, And now we sure. bring in Bugs Bunny with the dynamite to go ahead and yeah. help us get into the vault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going to get that Charlotte out of there. Yep. So surprisingly, when they got it opened, there was a lot of money in it. What? Yeah. Well, like you said, maybe his vehicle didn't fit all the 2,800 pounds of money because there was $3.3 million left in the van. Oh. Well, oh, yeah. He came out ahead. I'm willing to ditch the rest. Yeah. yeah. I'm willing to take the, the big stuff and, and I'll leave three million. Yeah. No problem. Pocket change. Yeah. And it was mostly small bills. Fives, tens, ones that was left. So you can imagine how much volume $3.3 million is in $5 bills. A lot, yeah. Oh, yeah. Might as well be pennies, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So also left in the van, both sets of vault keys, which they're like, fuck, if we would have found the van first, we wouldn't have had to dynamite the vault. So both sets of vault keys are in the van and the two VHS tapes that showed Gant loading the money. Oh, come on. (laughs) Okay. So we're still like really heavily pointed towards this guy doing the entire thing by himself. Yeah, but this moron stole the tapes of him stealing the money and then left the tapes in the van. And as a supervisor, he's got to know about the third one, right? I don't mean, that's a really good insurance policy to not even tell your supervisors, like, just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Keep them honest. So on these tapes, they only see Gant, but they still can't believe that even if he masterminded this whole thing, that he didn't have help because 2800 pounds worth of cash is a lot to move. There would have had to have been another car because obviously the van is abandoned. So they started looking into his friends and family and they started interviewing all the Loomis employees asking if, you know, Gant ever mentioned like robbing the joint. Just over the water cooler real cash. So do you think? Yeah. And they're all like, yeah, of course he did. And the FBI is like, what, what are you talking about? And they're like, we work at Loomis Fargo, dude. We handle millions of dollars a day. We all joke about how if we were going to do it, how we would do it and how we'd get away. with. He's like, that's what we talk about every day. All the employees are like, yes, this is like a common thing we all talk about all the time. Absolutely. It has to be. Like, why would it not be? Yeah. (laughs) It's just like it's 
if nothing else, it's an easy conversation starter to talk to with these people who you barely know. True story. So, yeah, because if you think about it, haven't you ever worked at a crap job? And what do all you you and your like associates yeah. talk about? Burning the place down together. So, I mean, it totally makes sense. Yeah, totally. So they were like, okay, well, I guess everybody jokes about robbing the place. So was he like close to anyone at work? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, he was really close to a lady named Kelly Campbell. Kelly was like his work wife for lack of a better term they always took smoke breaks together and they seemed to be kind of flirty for two people who were completely married to other people you know they were a little too chummy was he trying to impress her yeah yeah guys do the stupidest shit to impress girls yeah the fbi also finds out that kelly quit loomis like a year before the heist so she didn't even work there anymore so her and david still hanging out randomly was kind of like hey you're not even co-workers anymore why are you still hanging that is real weird we all have quit jobs and been like, well, I'll never talk to those people anymore. And that sucks because <laughs> they were such an important part of my life for, you know, three years. But now they're dead to me. So, like, to continue talking to somebody, like, there's some, uh, there's something going on. Totally. So the FBI interviews Kelly. And she was cooperative, but she denies that she was ever close to David. She's like, what are you talking about? It was just like a guy I worked with. We both happened to smoke, so we smoked at the same time. And they were like, but don't you hang out like outside of work? And she's like, absolutely not. No. So everybody at work says they do. Yes. And she's like, no, we don't. We don't hang out. Yes. At all. Yes. Can we check phone records in 97? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they will. Can we? Yeah, they will. They do. Wow. <laughs> so. Did we have phones in 97? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So she told them that she didn't really have any contact with him since she quit Loomis Fargo. For them was big red flags because like we said, everybody was like, oh no, they're like totally hanging out inappropriately. So they pulled the phone records from the night of the heist, and David was seen on the surveillance video calling his own cell phone during the heist. Was he leaving himself a message? What? Well, on the video, they could see he was on the phone, and then they pulled the phone records, and he was calling his own cell phone. So now they're certain he had an accomplice. Because he was calling somebody on his cell phone. He was using the Loomis Fargo phone to call his own cell phone, which was not Oh, I in thought the he was just leaving himself love messages. He's like, hey, buddy, we did it. We're still in the money. <laughs> no. Miss you. No. So somebody was outside with his cell phone. And his pager was sent quite a few pages during the hour, his hour and a pager. half. pager, yeah. Yeah. And it was all the same three numbers. It was 143, like over and over and over during the hour and a half it took him to load the van. That's that's code for I love you. It is. Is that really code for, I mean, it makes sense. Four letters, love, three, you, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the one. Aww. Yeah. Well, don't all yet. We don't know who he's sending it to. I know, but it's just cute that even with pages and only using numbers, people could still like flirt, you know? Yeah. I mean? And no, he wasn't sending it to anybody, Grant. Somebody was sending it to him. Oh. Huh. Somebody was paging him with 143 through the whole heist. So they're like pretty sure it's Kelly. Encouragement. Yeah. You can do it, babe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love you for stealing all this money for us. Exactly. I mean, I would too. David Gant isn't a looker, but he looks a lot better with $17.3 million in his pocket. Don't we all? <laughs> yep. So anyway, they're pretty sure they're having an affair and that he robbed Loomis. <laughs> With her encouragement. So that's probably why his wedding ring was in the ashtray of his truck. So this is a huge manhunt. Like, they got to find this guy. This is 
federally insured money from banks. You know, they put his story and picture on America's Most Wanted. And they, like, overstaff the phone room expecting, like, a shitload of tips about where this guy is. Because in the 90s, that's how they caught everybody. They put their picture on America's Most Wanted. And everybody watched that. Oh, yeah, we did. And he was, like, a pretty distinct-looking guy. He was, like, a redhead. And, like, it wasn't like he just looked like every guy. You know, he was pretty distinct-looking. So they expected to get a lot of phone tips. But the Braves were playing the Marlins in a playoff game. Oh, yeah. The Marlins won the World Series that year. And America's Most Wanted wasn't aired on the East Coast because of the playoff game. Oh, man. No way. Yeah. So those poor FBI agents, they like overstaffed the phone room expecting all these tips. And then do you remember when PBS used to do those telethons and they would say, send your pledges and you'd watch a room, but it just all yeah. the phones are empty is what I'm envisioning right now. Like just no calls, just silent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah like, just everybody do? looking at each other. Yeah. No, they were sitting there watching the baseball game. So the longer they went without finding David Gant, the more likely he was going to get away with this because the more distance and time you have, but, you know, it's going to be harder to trace him. But they also started to worry about the fact that they didn't know who his accomplices were. So if they decided to off David Gant after the heist, they may never figure it out. Like, if it's not just Kelly Campbell, if there's more than just her, they may never figure this out. So Loomis Fargo offered a $500,000 reward, and that's when the tips finally started pouring in. One tip that caught the investigator's eye, though, somebody called about a guy named Eric, and he had been spending shitloads of money that he had no explanation for. Ooh. Yeah, so the FBI was like, well, let's look into this guy. He had paid off his- Yeah, he's either involved or a drug dealer, so- Exactly. So he paid off his credit cards, he bought a new truck, he bought a Harley- he got his wife a nose job and a boob job, and he also <laughs> yeah he also bought his two sisters boob jobs. That's weird. Uh, okay. Yeah. So he was really living it up. That's like the first rule of thievery, right? Like right, correct. Buy your loved ones boob jobs. No, don't buy no. anyone. <laughs> don't boob buy your. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Keep it under your don't mattress. Don't spend the money right away. It makes it obvious. Yeah. So when pressed about the money, he said he had inherited it, but he worked at a graphics company that was directly across the street from the woods where the van was found. So that's suspicious as fuck. His work is right across the street from where the van was yeah. abandoned. A little. Yeah. yeah no, a that's little, a little bit too much. Yeah. And also this guy's an idiot because he tries to say that he inherited the money. It's like, why didn't you just say you found the van before the cops did, and you took some money out but of it. But it was locked. That's what I would have said. And they had to do expert stuff to get in there. Oh, yeah, you're right. All right. Yeah, you would have gotten caught, Erica. Yeah. Well, this guy That's gets caught. That's not a good excuse. Unless he's a, unless he's a locksmith. Yeah. So they tried to bring this Eric guy in for questioning, but he was on some exotic vacation. So they're like, well, we'll just wait till he gets home because we don't want to spook him. If he's not the main guy, we don't want to tip off the whole. They wanted more information before they started, like, arresting people. Meanwhile, in Gaston County, which is like just a couple of minutes from Charlotte, narcotics police start looking into a guy named Steve Chambers. So like you said, Grant, when you have a lot of money and you're paying cash for a lot of stuff, you you either robbed Loomis Fargo or you're a drug dealer. So narcotics police start looking into a guy named Steve Chambers because he and his wife, Michelle Chambers, were literally both unemployed, had been living in like a rundown double wide trailer. They got in trouble for writing bad checks. Okay. <laughs> but all of the sudden, like the week after the heist, they bought a house that was over $600,000 and paid cash for it. 
Well, I think we're starting to clue in on where this is going. Mm -hmm. And when I say cash, like most of the time when somebody pays cash for a house, it's still like a wire transfer from your bank account. Yeah. He walked up with 20s. Yeah. He literally paid cash for this house. That would be pretty cool to have a briefcase just full of cash and be like, is this enough? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Where did you get that? Like, uh, I wrote myself bad checks. Yeah. (laughs) Well, then they bought a brand new truck and a custom BMW and- like I said, the narcotics police. Yeah. They did not do any, like, these people have so little money, yeah. they have no idea how to act cool about having money. No, no. Exactly. So the narcotics police think it's drug money immediately because that's what they do, for one, and because you'd have to be an idiot to be spending Loomis Fargo money that quickly after the heist. Like, yeah. They're like, no way this is Loomis money. They're spending it right here in the same city just a few days after. That There's no way. But they're still keeping an eye on Steve and Michelle Chambers because they think they're like big time drug dealers. So the neighbors are a little concerned about the new kids on the block also because they moved into this really nice gated community. And they have no teeth. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) They're, They're not the type of people who live in this community. Yeah. And so they tell everybody their backstory is that Steve was a retired NFL player who owned laundromats and hit a big win in Atlantic City. So they had to, they came up wow. with like three different backstories and then they had to like yeah. blend them together. <laughs> and like the first one is very easy I to look I was just going to say like, that's it's, verifiable. Like Yeah. Exactly. But like a retired NFL player, like a retired one, that means he's played for several yes. seasons, not just oh yeah, I tried for the Patriots and I missed. Like oh, no, no, this he guy says he played for the Dallas Cowboys. Oh my god. Well, okay. But, like, to be retired, like, he must have played for at least a few seasons. Yeah. He so, didn't play again, at all. This but... is... Yeah, well, I had a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's real easy to look up, even in 97. Yes. So, in the few weeks after the heist, they not only bought the house and the cars, they lavishly decorated their new home with expensive shit, like tanning beds. Wow. Yeah, three of them, which I don't know why you would ever need more than one. Upper body and then left leg, right leg? I don't know. Friends? One for each of them and friends? A guest tanning bed? Yeah, a guest tanning bed. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Ella, we're going to get you a guest tanning bed for us, okay? I just feel like you only spend, like, what, a couple of minutes in a tanning bed at a time, like, you guys can't like take turns. I don't, like, you have to have three. Maybe they want to tan beds. together. Maybe it's like couples tanning sessions. Yeah, I don't know. They would be up to some shit like this because they also bought a velvet Elvis painting. Velvet Elvis. Yeah. Wait. How do you I how do know. you paint with velvet? It, it's. I'll show you a picture of it. It's real gross. I mean, it sounds pretty cool to be honest. No, I think it's I tacky want it. as fuck. But like cool tacky, like come touch my velvet Elvis or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> I guess. Dude, Velvet Elvis, like we've, w- as a society, we need to say that more. Yeah. yeah. So they also bought a $43,000 diamond ring for Michelle. First off, hang on. Did you know there's a song called Velvet Elvis by Casey Musgraves? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't. Okay. I'm just looking at the Velvis Elvis painting. Oh, did you see it? Um, No, I mean, I'm I'm googing it, but I'm not really getting much of a velvet out of this, but. Yeah, it's not very cool. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, I want it to be yeah. like Ella said, like, come touch my velvet Take Elvis. Take this but tab of acid and come, <laughs> come rub my velvet Elvis. It's like. Yeah, no, no. It's Why not. does it sound so dirty? Yeah, because 
Because Ella said it. So anyway, they also bought a $43,000 ring, diamond ring for Michelle. And they bought Michelle's dad a new truck. And they bought a furniture store. These people are unemployed and were living in a trailer three weeks ago. It's like they moved from West Philadelphia to Bel Air. Yeah. Michelle Chambers also went into a bank and opened up a briefcase full of money and asked the teller how much could she deposit before she had to fill out the paperwork for the government. Oh my God. Oh, I love all of this. Yeah. And she made sure she told the teller that it wasn't drug money. She's like, it's not drug money. And the teller was like, you know what, honey? (laughs) Even better. Don't worry about it. I'll fill out the paperwork for the government (laughs) because this is suspicious. It's definitely drug money. Yeah. (laughs) It's not drug money, I promise. (laughs) Yeah. So the teller. Not this time, anyway. Yeah. So the teller filled out a suspicious activity report because she's like, you can't do that. Because this is suspicious activity. This is what they're trained for. Yeah. And so then they started looking into other banking transactions because they're like, oh, these people are dumb. They're putting drug money in the bank. Like, okay. So they started opening up safety deposit boxes and putting tons of cash in them, like all over town, tons of safety deposit boxes. Same names too, right? Like they're not even like trying to change their names. Oh no, or they're walking they're in just... and they're like, I'm Michelle Chambers and this is not drug money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. But by December, the FBI still couldn't connect them to David Gant. These people have a ton of money, but there's no connection to David Gant or Loomis Fargo. I forgot about David Gant at this point. And this dude's just gone. Well, the police are wondering if he's dead. Like, did his accomplices kill him? Or did they force him to do this and then kill him? You know, they don't know. So they're trying to get a connection between the Chambers and David Gant, but they can't find one until they're looking through Stephen Chambers' old yearbooks and they come across a picture of Kelly Campbell. Oh, wow. This is this is intermingled. So they question Kelly Campbell, Grant member, the work wife. Oh, yeah. No, I'm yeah. I'm following. Okay, just making sure. And they were definitely suspicious of her even before, but now she was, like, nervous. She had a cell phone and her pager kept going off, and they're like... Drug dealers? Yeah. Yeah. It was drug dealers who had cell phones and pagers, exactly. <laughs> she cut the interview short because she was, like, real nervous, but she's like, I don't know anything. I don't know Steve Chambers. I don't know David Gann. I don't know anything. So they decided to surveil Kelly and Steven. Michelle trying to connect them, trying to see if they know each other and to see if anybody can lead them to David Gant. Well, it turns out Kelly shows up to Michelle and Steve's furniture store in a brand new minivan and the ladies are pretty chummy. Like they're obviously friends. And when police run the plates on Kelly's brand new van, it was paid for in cash and registered to an alias of Steve Chambers. How come she gets a minivan and they get new trucks and custom BMW? Don't sleep on minivans. Those are dope. Yeah. And she had a bunch of kids. So she needed the minivan. Okay. Do we yeah, know what I kind see, of minivans? Because in the 90s, Astro vans were like the minivan. No, we don't know what kind. Oh, okay. No. But that's kind of awkward. Like, why? Even if they are friends, why is your friend buying you a brand new minivan? That's kind of weird. My best friend's husbands have never bought me a brand new car. Promise you. That's not our, our gifts to each no. other at Christmas. My husband's never bought Ella a car, for sure. He can, though, if he wants to. I know. Well, we offered, and you said no. <laughs> so, anyway, long story short, um, that's not good. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't. This this is a solid connection at this point. They got. They're like, okay, you guys are friends. Why are you lying about knowing each other? This whole time, while they're surveilling everybody, Michelle, Steve Chambers' wife, has been making large cash deposits under the guise of you know the furniture store and their business. But one deposit stuck out because she walked into a bank with eight thousand dollars in cash, but she didn't take the Loomis Fargo money bands off the cash. Oh my God. Great. You gotta be kidding. They had handwritten initials from the Loomis Fargo employee and that employee hadn't worked there since before the robbery. So this directly, this wasn't like new Loomis money since the robbery. This was like, this came from the robbery money. Bingo, Yahtzee, we got him. Yeah. This has got to be like what seals the deal, right? Yeah. But instead of arresting them for this and whatever else they had them on, they decided to get warrants for wiretaps to see if they could incriminate themselves even more and lead them to David Gant because they still don't know where David Gant is. So they surveilled them for weeks and all they talked about was how they were going to spend their money on stupid hillbilly shit. (laughs) Which is exactly what you would think they would do. Yeah, they didn't talk about how they got the money or where David Gant was or anything. They were just like, I'm going to buy boob jobs from my sisters. Nipple rings for all. (laughs) That's all they talked about. Yeah, exactly. So right before they had to cut off the surveillance, because you can only wiretap somebody for so long before you get something on them by law. You can't just wiretap them forever. At some point, a judge is going to be like, okay, turn those off. You're not getting anything. That's good to know. But right before that happened, Kelly tells Steve, which by the way, it's hard to say Kelly and Steve because I think of 90210 every time. I'm like, oh, Kelly and Steve, huh? Uh, you're the only one, but it's 1997. So that goes right in line with what we're talking about. Yeah. So one day, Kelly tells Steve she heard from David. She told him that David paged her and was going to call her on a payphone at a certain time. So the FBI is like, oh my God, this is the first we've heard of David since the robbery. They didn't know if he was alive, dead, what. So they tap that payphone and they watch it. And the call comes in, but Kelly's nowhere to be found. She doesn't show up to answer the call. That's weird. So the police are like, shit. So they send a cop over. They run over and they answer it. Just they act like a regular person answering the phone. And they heard David Gant on the other line. And they were like, no, there's no lady standing here. I don't know. Sorry, dude. But they confirmed that he was alive. But of course, he didn't tell some random person on a payphone where he was. Did he say what his name was? Like, were they able to confirm that it was him or there was just a man on the other end? They said they were able to positively ID that it was his voice. So a few days later, David paged Kelly again because he's like, bitch, you didn't answer my calls. Come on. And she called Steve (laughs) immediately and told him that David paged her again and that he probably wanted more money because he probably ran out of money and needed her to send him more. And the cops are like, this guy stole $17 million. How is he out of money? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, even if they split it three ways. Yeah, like what the hell? So Steve told Kelly they had to kill David. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, we got to get rid of this guy. He needs too much money. Yeah, well, not only that, but he's the only name on this investigation. Like nobody else can for sure say that all these other people are involved. He's the only one that's on video stealing the money. So he's like, we got to kill him. You know, it's, this is over. So he told Kelly that a guy named Mike McKinney was all set to do it. He just didn't know where Gant was. So Kelly's job was to get David to tell her where he was so she could send him more money. But instead, they were going to send Mike McKinney to kill him. So Kelly waited at a payphone on a certain day and time, and David called. And he told her how much he loved her and that he couldn't wait until she came to be with him. She played along, but she told him that she needed to know where he was to send him more money. So he told her. That he was in Cozumel, Mexico. And she told him to stay there. That's a good place to go. If you're going to steal that much money, good call. 
That's a good place to go. Played it well, yeah. Yeah. The rest of the everybody else just stayed in their their hometown and then bought real big things. Yeah, exactly. So she told him to stay there and that somebody was coming to bring him more money, but obviously nobody was coming to bring him. For one sec, I don't think we like stressed enough that these people were writing bad checks one week and the next were buying lavish homes in gated communities. I know. Like that's such a dumb thing to do. A hundred percent stupid. So Steve meets with Mike McKinney and paid him to go to Mexico and kill David Gant. He's like, look, he's in Cozumel. Here's some money. Go to Mexico. Kill him. So the police had to get to Mexico to not only catch David Gant, but to save his life (laughs) before he gets killed. What a juxtaposition to be in. Yeah. And it was not lost on David Gant because when they finally found him three days later, they walked up to him and was like, hey, dude, what's up? And he was like, please tell me you're the FBI. Oh. And they were like, yep. And he's like, boy, am I happy to see you. He was like relieved that it was over because he caught on to the fact that they were going to kill him and that they were after him. So he was relieved that the FBI found him before the hitmen did. What a weird turn of events. Yeah. So David spilled the beans. Actually, they all spilled the beans. (laughs) Once they were caught, they all rolled on each other. No problem. I imagine for these people like this was so relieving to all of them because they're not the type of people to keep it like a ploy up like this for too long right they needed to get out of it it was it must have been weighing on them so so much compartmentalization to be able to like navigate something like this i feel and i don't think they're equipped for that kind of level of mental load no right they're gonna have to keep so many lies in order and so many things in place that they're not used to doing that they're used to grifting and getting by with what they got yeah so david spills the beans He tells them everything, how he met Kelly at work, and he had a big crush on her. They spent a lot of time together bitching about their marriages and how his wife kept him on a shoestring budget and wouldn't let him smoke cigarettes inside their trailer. And Oh, man, what a bitch. Yeah, and they... (laughs) Exactly. And they joked about robbing Loomis and running away together because Kelly would let him smoke in her trailer. (laughs) Why is that always how it goes, too? It's always, my wife won't let me do this, but this hottie lets me do it. I don't know, but the priorities are outstanding. Oh, they're the best. I'm going to leave my wife because she won't let me smoke inside the house and stink the whole thing up and ruin its value. Right. But this babe over here. And tanning beds. Yeah. She'll let me ruin a house. (laughs) Yeah, tanning beds. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that too. So then after they joked about all this and stuff, Kelly quit, but he kept thinking about it off and on. And then a few months later, he was reading his credit card statement one day at his kitchen table and he realized, you know, he did some math. To pay off all of his debts, it was going to take him like 30 years. And he's like, this sucks. You know, (laughs) then Kelly called out of the blue and presented him the idea of robbing Loomis again, but like for real and that he would be the perfect inside guy because he knew all the ins and outs of Loomis and they were short staffed. He knew he was alone a lot of his shift. She also told him that she had a friend who would help arrange all the details of the heist, like new IDs, fake passports, what they would do, where they would hide the money, the logistics, you know. So David said, all right, let's do it. I'll steal the money. Your friend, you know, does all the planning. So he started working as much overtime as possible to learn as much as he could about how Loomis operates and when the best time would be. And he and Steve decided to plan this elaborate heist without ever meeting or knowing each other's names. I mean, that's kind of smart. They never even exchanged names? 
Nope. That way they couldn't be tied to each other if either one of them ever got caught. I was. Yes. That actually is the smartest thing that has happened in this entire episode. It's the smartest thing for Steve Chambers because if David Gant gets caught, he can never roll on Steve Chambers because he doesn't know who he is. But as soon as this heist went down, everybody knew who David Gant was because his picture was all over the news. So there was really no protection for David Gant. It was really only to protect Steve. Either way, this elaborate heist that they're planning, they're doing it all through, like, code names and through Kelly. They're like, Kelly, tell your friend that we're going to do this. I'm sure that wasn't very easy to plan a... No, it's like high school kids trying to break each other out to go to a party and not have their parents know. Yeah. So Steve took care of all the after the heist deets. You know, he hired a couple of guys he knew, a cousin and a friend, that one that worked across the street from where they dumped the van. He hired them for a hundred grand each to help him load the money from the Loomis van into another truck and to hide some of the money. He also bought fake IDs and they decided that David would have to get out of the country as soon as possible after the robbery and that everybody was going to lay low for two years and they would get away with it because they read a book about the FBI and after two years they just kind of forget about cases. So they were like if we could just hold on to the money for two years and everybody lay low we just get away with it. They stuck to every other part of the plan except for that. <laughs> yep. Then on a Saturday night in October, Gant was working alone, a closing shift, so it was go time. He's like, guys, this is the best time. Saturday night, I'm closing. So that day came and everything was normal. He had dinner with his wife the night before. He woke up kissed her goodbye, left for work. But as soon as he got to work, things started to not go according to the plan immediately because he had a trainee, like somebody who's brand new first day. And so he's like, oh, great. I got to train this new guy while I'm Ocean's Eleven-ing it over here. Like, damn it. But to be fair, that guy has no idea what to do, so he can tell him anything. Exactly. Oh, hey, look at me getting it. So at the end of the shift, he could tell that the guy was tired. You know, they'd worked a long shift all day on his feet. It was his first day. He's not used to the job and so he's like go ahead and clock out and get out of here i'll finish locking up and leave and the guy didn't know that he wasn't supposed to do that so he's just like okay bye he was like tired and he left yeah take advantage of what you can yeah so after he left gant backed the truck up to the vault and he started putting the money in and he said once he put the first dollar in the van he knew he had to take every dollar because the crime was the same good point yeah yeah. After, what is it, $500, that's grand theft? So yeah, just go well, for no, it. Well, no, it's a federally insured vault. So he's robbing a bank yeah. from the first dollar. It's the same oh. crime whether he steals a dollar or $17 million. Yeah, like his jail sentence and everything would have been the same. So Yep. He's like, I knew I had to take every, every dollar out of that vault. So it took him over an hour to load it. And Kelly was annoying as fuck waiting outside. She was texting him 143 the whole t- or paging him 143 the whole time. Super annoying. Was this just to like encourage yes. him to keep going? Like, okay. It's like, oh, I love you, baby. Thank yes. you for doing it. And probably anxious tabs as well. Yes. Like they just itchy until they got their hands on that money. Totally, because they didn't account for how long it would take him to load the van. So when it was like 30 minutes after he was supposed to be out there, 40 minutes, you know, they were like, what's going on? Because they didn't account for how much time it would take to load that much money. So once he left Loomis, he met them where the van was abandoned in the woods. And the rest of the gang had another vehicle waiting to transfer the money to. So the plan was David and Kelly would grab a very small amount of money, like $200 
25, 30,000 and give the van and the keys to the gang and then leave for the airport. And the plan was to get David out of the country as quickly as possible and to lay low and they would send him small increments of cash when he needed it, but he would just chill for a couple of years. Everybody would just sit on everything for a couple of years. Mm, yeah. I would not trust somebody to send me money after I leave the country that I've never met and don't like that just seems well you're smarter than David Gant obviously you're smarter than most people on the internet (laughs) because lots of people send lots of money around (laughs) the world to people they don't know so David handed him his eight inch key ring that had like hundreds of keys on it and the Loomis van with all the money and him and Kelly got in a different car and went to the airport with his 25 grand literally handed over 17 million dollars and yeah they dropped the keys on the ground it's really expensive to just smoke in somebody's double wide R- right yeah after being the only one with your face on camera and having it all be on your back just be like and here are the keys yeah and i'm going to take 25 30 grand and trust get you out to here. send me more when i need it like that's crazy yeah but to be fair this guy's in love with her yeah you know he doesn't think that she's gonna do him dirty correct does she even get on the plane to go to mexico no but that was the plan she wasn't supposed to go with him they're all acting like everything's normal for two years and Uh, then she'll meet him once they can spend the money so he hands the keys the van him and kelly head off to the airport these dummies drop the keys to the armored van in the ground you know on the ground and there's a hundred keys on this ring on this huge ring so they don't know which one goes to this van They're like, whatever, we'll just break. We don't care about the van. We'll just break it. Well, it's an armored van. So they spend tons of time trying to throw rocks at the windows and pry open the door. Nothing. (laughs) They can't get it. There's $17 million in this van and they can't get it. So they end up having to go key by key on this ring until they find the key that opens up the back of the van. And then they start loading the money from the van to the vehicle that they brought to transfer the money. And they didn't bring a big enough vehicle. So that's why they had to leave the $3.3 million in the van. Do we know what kind of vehicle they did bring? No. They say it was some sort of truck, but I don't know what kind of truck. Meanwhile, David and Kelly's plan also wasn't going super well because they got to the airport only to find out that there was no flights to Mexico. They didn't even, like, pre-plan that, although I guess this is 97. I guess you could just kind of Yeah, but they didn't even check flights. Not only did they not pre-book a flight... They didn't even check that there was flights. <laughs> that is pretty good. Like, that's there's not a lot of plans in place here. There's like, I hope. Yeah. It's like, what did this Steve Chambers guy do? All he did was got him a fake ID. Yeah, and called his cousin. And then took $17 million from him. Yeah, so David, thinking quickly, boarded a bus for New Orleans and then flew to Mexico from New Orleans. So once he was in Mexico... He had a bitch and vacay for a while. He was like parasailing and just chilling on a beach. He was staying at like a real nice resort. I'm sure you could live it up real well then. Yeah, I bet. All inclusive. But within a month, he was running low on funds because he only took like 25 grand with him. And the gang would only send him like real small amounts of money, like three, five thousand. And pretty quickly he started to realize like, ah, did I get fucked here? (laughs) Now's now's not the time to think about that, dude, because the answer is yes. Yeah. So he started to get real paranoid because they sent that Mike McKinney guy to kill him like five times. And every time that guy just took the money and went to Mexico and drank and didn't even bother to look for David. And then he would come back and he would tell the gang like, oh, couldn't find him. Sorry. But during one of those trips, some other guy found David and warned him that this guy was there to kill him. How? 
How did like that all get put together? Because this guy said I have information for he like extorted him. He's like, give me some money and I'll tell you what I know. And then David Gant gave him a couple grand and the guy's like, all right. So they keep sending this Mike McKinney guy to try to kill you. So avoid that guy. But that guy really wasn't doing a whole lot to try to find him anyways. I think he was also kind of screwing the gang. Like he would just take their five grand to go down and kill him. And then he would just party in Mexico for a week and he wouldn't even look for David Gant. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, this sounds very similar to that episode we did on the ship where, was it Amy Lynn Bradley? They're sending these PIs, and the PIs are just going, oh, almost, yeah. almost, and they're just living it up. Exactly, except this is a hitman, not a PI, but yeah. Right, right. So he's running from his gang because he knows there's something going on, but they also had all of his money. Yeah. He stole $17 million, and he took twenty five grand. So he still has to try to contact them to get them to send him money because they have all of his money. So that's how they caught him was he was paging Kelly, asking her to send him more money, and that's when they sent the cops down there. So they're all caught, and as soon as they're caught, they all sing like canaries, and they roll on each other hard. And in all, in the end, 24 <laughs> people were arrested and convicted for involvement from money laundering to hiding money. 24. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's more than Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. So Steve Chambers was also the only one who didn't plead guilty. And he was sentenced to 11 years. His attorney was convicted of money laundering and served eight years. Wow. David Gant, who actually stole the money, only got seven years. I was kind of rooting for him. So good. Yeah. Yeah, he got pretty fucked. No love, no money. He didn't even get to buy a BMW or tan for a little bit before he went to jail. Yeah. There's something more egregious. He didn't even get to smoke inside that double wide. Oh, my gosh. Not only that, the FBI found out. They were like, how long have you been having an affair with Kelly? And he's like, we're, we're not. And they're like, he never. oh, no. You robbed Loomis Fargo and you never even slept with this girl he never even dipped it in and he's just robbing banks for people she kissed him one time on the cheek that must have been some kiss well that's what the cops were like that was a pretty expensive kiss dude he's like i know wow yeah he's a romantic he really did it for love yeah i was thinking he was an idiot but yeah he is an idiot aren't those aren't those two synonymous same thing same thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes they can be Michelle Chambers also got more time than Gant. She got almost eight years for all the money laundering and all the bank, you know, going into banks going, this isn't drug money. Can I deposit it? I love that. I this do isn't too. drug money. Like, she's so proud of it. Like, now knowing this part, like, she's so proud that it's not drug money that she, like, wants to tell them, like, this isn't drug money, guys. Like, we're doing it right. Yeah. We stole <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. I also feel like if those bankers had to go through a training, she hit every bullet point of, like, what would cause oh, yeah. she's like oh mentioned it wasn't drug money um wants to know what yeah. she can do to not be traced <laughs> came in with a briefcase full of dirty money but like if this person walked up wouldn't you think this was like a secret shopper kind of situation they're like oh they're trying to bust me this is i know how to handle this this is a training situation and it's like no this is just a dumb person that's true. yeah it was so by the book suspicious they were like this has to be fake yeah right so Kelly also was arrested and convicted. She got, she served less than five years in prison, though, because she was just kind of the Yeah, all she got was a minivan. Yeah, all she got was a <laughs> minivan, exactly. So it was dubbed the Hillbilly Heist, and there was a movie called Masterminds loosely based on it with Zach Galifianakis and Kristen Wiig. The Hillbilly Heist. That's another good name. That's almost as good as Charlotte. Yeah. So the FBI recovered 88% of the money. Oh, wow. Yeah, $2 million wasn't ever recovered. 
It was lost to Velvet Elvis paintings and tanning beds. and. <laughs> I'm sure they could get two mil for that Velvet Elvis painting. Yeah. Velvis Elvis. I like that. <laughs> uh, oh, did I say Velvis? Yeah, you Velvis, said Velvis yeah. Elvis. <laughs> oh, I meant Velvet Elvis, but Velvis Elvis is even better. Velvis Elvis. Oh, yeah. That's the combination of it. Velvis. See, I should name everything. <laughs> Want to see my Velvis? I mean, yeah. that... When you say it like that, it's a whole nother term. Yeah, no, it sounds gross. But I mean, a velvet Elvis painting probably isn't not gross. It's so. got to be sticky. Yeah, it's sticky for sure. I'm 100% going to start looking it up, though, because I kind of want one. Well, that's what you're getting for Christmas Whoa. this year, Grant. It's supposed to be a surprise, Ella. Don't tell me what you're getting me. I'm sure you'll forget by the time Christmas comes around. It's like eight months away. I'm pretty sure I'll forget, too. I... He's already forgot. By the end of this sentence, he's going to be like, what are you talking about? What are we talking about? All right, well, that's the story of the Loomis Fargo heist and the the dumb guy that stole 17. He could have totally gotten away with this if he didn't involve all these other people. Like, if he just did it himself or just him and Kelly, they could have totally gotten away that with this. That would be what eats me alive for the rest of my life. It wouldn't be the jail time. It wouldn't. It would be the fact that I, if I hadn't have talked to anyone else, I could have actually been, like, rolling around in 17 million all alone. Yeah. I know it's funny too because they're they're all out of jail now. I mean, this happened in '97. They all got like five to oh, ten. Oh, can we years, do a you know what are they doing now? Episode like child stars. <laughs> yeah, except most of them have like changed their names and kind of live under the radar. But David Gant did do an interview when he was first released, and he pretty much because he like, needs the money. He didn't get any of it. He had to do an interview. Yeah, but they asked him, they were like, do you regret it? Like, you went to prison. This girl was obviously screwing you. She had no plans to ever meet you in Mexico. Do you regret any of it? And he goes, no, I'd do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Like, it was that what? easy. Yeah, and he's like, I didn't even get that much time. And it would have been federal <laughs> federal prison for money law. So wow. it wouldn't have even been, like, murder. It would have been the fun, the fun prison, the nice prison. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he said. He's like, I didn't even get that much time. He's like, I'd do it again tomorrow if I had the chance. He's like, and I'd do it right this time. I wouldn't tell 24 people about it. Oh, that's not going to get you monitored. Yeah. He's he's not very good at this game. I just think it's funny that he's like, no, nah, I'd do it again. <laughs> what? And what did he get out of it? Like a couple months in Mexico? Yeah. He said it was the best couple months of his life. He was just partying in Mexico for three months or four months, whatever it was. But he, he doesn't even like pretend like he's got a bunch of remorse or anything like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. He's just like, oh, no, it's fine. I'd do it again. What an idiot. They're all dumb. Who involves 24 people in a heist? The only thing he learned from this was how to do it better. And he admitted to like, yeah, I'd do it differently, but I'd still do it. Like, why? You didn't get the girl. You didn't get free. You didn't get a bunch of money. You, you got a couple months in Mexico until you didn't and then got served. And then you had to go <laughs> to jail. So yeah, but that's why he would do it differently. Exactly. Like he needs to fill that. He needs closure. <laughs> he yeah. needs to do it right. <sighs> he needs closure. <laughs> He, yeah. he needs the bars closed on him forever. Oh, no. He's a nice guy. He just got kind of screwed. He's a nice guy. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of was rooting for him for a while. I was like, I hope, right? you know. So anyway, that's the story of the hillbilly heist. Well, I enjoyed that. That was actually really good. And it was kind of straightforward, too. Like, it wasn't all the twists and turns. It was like, you're not going to believe how dumb these people can be. Yeah, you you pretty much guessed it from the beginning. You were like, oh, this idiot. He's going to do this for a girl. <laughs> Yeah, but how many times do we do that in an episode and I'm obviously totally wrong because yeah. they're smarter than that. This one was just pretty straightforward. Like, yeah. they're dumb from the beginning and they're going to be done, dumb at the end. Yep. Yeah, they did it for really juvenile reasons. Yeah. 
Which is really sad because they did some stuff that was like pretty smart. I think that was like accidental though. I don't think it they was. did things like <laughs> this is going to be really intelligent. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely by accident. Yeah, definitely like, well, that worked out. Yeah, like when you're filling out the Scantron and you do it in a design instead of actually answering the questions and you happen to get a few right. Yeah. <laughs> ACDC, ACDC. And it makes the lightning bolt, yeah. which is so cool. I totally forgot about Scantrons. You can always count on me for nostalgia. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the case for this week. Thank you, Ella, for joining us. Thank this you really for having for me. me. Ella, how was your first episode? It was fantastic. I love listening to you guys banter. It always makes me feel, when I listen to the episodes, it makes me feel like we're back on the patio shooting the shit. So it's really nice to be a part of it. And... Yep. So, all right. Well, this is weird. I don't know how to say bye to two people. So love you. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. This podcast has been a production of Orange Halo Media, LLC, hosted by Grand Narica. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. To chat with us, go to From Crime to Crime on Instagram, From Crime to Crime on TikTok, From Crime the Number Two Crime on Twitter, or you can visit our website at FromCrime2Crime.com. See you next Wednesday.